Uh, I did want to start out uh, letting you know a little bit about myself, introducing myself some. Uh, my name is Jonathan Hitz. Yes, uh, I did grow up with some abuse. I'm the youngest of five, um, so my brothers and sisters definitely uh, kept me in check in line, but I grew up and uh, ended up being taller and larger than all of them, so now I make them pay for it the rest of their life. Um, but uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, I grew up in, in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. It's near Hershey, Pennsylvania, so if you like Hershey chocolate, uh, depending on the weather conditions or where I grew up, uh, we could smell the, the chocolate being made from the factories. Um, so that can be a, a blessing and a curse all at the same time. Uh, but we grew up in that area, and I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents uh, took me to Faith Baptist Church in Lebanon. Uh, that is where I still attend now, and I'm one of the pastors there. Uh, but I grew up uh, learning um, from a very young age uh, the Word of God, learning about Jesus Christ. Um, and at a very young age of four or five um, is when I realized that my parents can get me to heaven, my church can get me to heaven, uh, my knowledge about uh, the Bible couldn't get me to heaven. It was only a personal relationship in Jesus Christ uh, that could do that. And it was um, at that time with my dad. Uh, we talked about where someone goes after they die. I knew the stories. I knew the scriptures. I knew the gospel. I knew what Jesus Christ had done. But it was that day that I realized that I needed to make a personal deci decision to take Christ as my Savior, um, to forgive me of my sins, and to trust completely in Him for my eternal destiny. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to have that opportunity and that privilege. It was that faith that I went through many of the programs that we will be bringing here this summer. Um, and this afternoon we'll be explaining a little bit about them. Um, I was able to participate in them and then also later on help um, in running some of them at the same time. Uh, I, after um, high school, I sat out one year and worked and then went to Maranatha Baptist Bible College where I met Dave. And uh, we have some stories from late night studying in the uh, library, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really throughout my um, elementary into teen years and then even through college that God continually worked in my life with the burden of wanting to go into full-time ministry um, and a burden to invest in people and in, in individuals' lives. Um, so I, I graduated from Maranatha with a Bible degree. Uh, decided to go on to seminary, went to Calvary Baptist Theological Seminary in Lan Lancaster, or well, near Philly, but in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and uh, received uh, my degree there. Um, and then went back to my home church, continued just to faithfully serve um, at Faith in Lebanon. And uh, it was um, after a few years that my pastor approached me and asked if I would consider coming on staff and uh, focusing on the teen ministry that we had. Um, so I, I've had that privilege of growing up in the church, going through the ministry, um, being invested in by many people in our congregation and in our church, and then now being able to come back and, and to actually be able to minister um, and to teach others as I was. And uh, I've learned a lot from there. Uh, and I had the opportunity to preach um, some of the message I'm going to preach tonight or today. Uh, for the first time when I was in high school, well, we had a, uh, a young pr a program for um, our older teens to be able to go through that our youth pastor um, showed us how to prepare a message and develop a passage and then gave us the opportunity of preaching it down in our, our youth um, program on a Wednesday night. And uh, 
it's, it's, if you look at chapter 4, verse uh, 3, we'll get to it then, or, or the end of verse 2, sorry. Um, he says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Um, and this was the passage I was preaching on. Well, growing up, I was not a public speaker at all. I was homeschooled. I grew up on a farm. If I didn't see a person, I was happy. Um, and yet, I had a, a, a burden and a passion to, to preach God's word and to reach people. So, as much as I hated the idea of getting up and speaking to the teens, um, I wanted to go through the process. I wanted to learn. Um, so, I was studying and studied for several nights, was completely sick before the night I was supposed to, to actually get up and, and preach uh, the message that I had. So I called my pastor and was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to preach tomorrow. And he completely laughed at me because he's like, is it verse 2, the verse that talks about being ready to preach? And now you're saying you're not going to be able to preach? It's like, yes, but um, it was mostly because of nerves. And I got up preached the next week. But it has been fun to look back and see how God has used different individuals, has used different opportunities to mold and shape me. Um, into who I am today. And I'm a long-winded speaker, so I will try to keep it short this morning. Um, but I have the privilege of, of coming back and, and preaching another passage, uh, the first passage that I preached. But it's one I think is very, very beneficial to look at. And I think it structures a lot of where my burden to reach young people come from. My burden to reach children, to, to reach the youth, comes from. And it's because of what Paul is going to talk about here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Um, but before I, I do that, there's a lot that has changed. Um, there's a lot that's changed in my life, uh, but even sitting here listening a little bit uh, in Sunday school, hearing questions about, do you remember so-and-so, and they used to live here and whatnot, uh, just thinking about all that has changed over the last hundred years. Um, I could go around the room and, and ask many of you, what is different from your childhood and, and what, is, what is life today? And uh, the stories would, would be a lot of fun to listen to. Um, I enjoy talking to my grandparents, some of their friends, and just sitting back and saying, what was life like? What was, what was the day-to-day -day things that I have no clue about because I didn't participate in them at all? Um, I was able to sit down with uh, a friend of my grandparents for about an hour and a half, two hours, and he just bantered and bantered and bantered about the good old days. And uh, he was talking about how the ice man would come around once a week. And he would provide you your ice block for your, your ice cooler. Um, so that you could actually keep your, your, well basically your refrigeration, keep your food uh, cool. And it was, it was like, wait a minute, you guys had ice delivered to you. Where'd they get the ice from? There was just a, a line of questions. And everything that they talked about would just lead to more and more questions that I would be interested in is, is what was happening. Um, how the milkman would come around, and he would deliver your milk and your eggs. Um, how uh, different individuals would come around different days of the week. They could expect that this, this individual would show up to be the salesperson that would either um, take orders from them or, or offer different uh, supplies and different uh, household-needed goods and whatnot uh, that the individuals had. And uh, it, it was very interesting to me because I grew up completely different than that. Um, and yet... It's interesting to me now, and it makes me laugh when I get to talk to the kids and to the teens now, and I talk to them about stuff that I had when I grew up. Um, CD players, Walkmans, uh, cassette tapes. 
um, boom boxes, uh, computers that took a while to boot up. Uh, you know, you turned them on and you went and did a chore, and when you came back, it finally loaded. Um, having, having cell phones that you had to plug into your car, and they were about this big. They weren't, you know, your small cell phones that you had today. Um, TVs that had real antennas that you had to go adjust so that you could, could actually get the picture. And the picture and the quality of the picture wasn't that, that good. Um, a TV is where you had to go actually turn the dial on the TV to change channels. Um, and you only had so many channels, or maybe you only had one channel depending where you were at. Um, TVs that took up the whole corner of the living room because they weren't wide, they were just deep. Uh, they were big, they took two people to carry, uh, to move around. And you talk to, to kids and teens today and they're like, what? How did you live like that? And, and it's just so much has changed. Uh, so much has changed in our life and your generation and your, your lives of your kids, your grandkids. Um, even from my generation to the generation now, not having internet blows their mind. Um, not having the access to information right away is at their fingertips off of their phones. Um, even just the idea of, I didn't have a phone when I was a kid. Okay, they were still coming out. Um, and even when they were out, it was like, I don't need it. Well, now kids are like, well, if I don't have a phone, I'm, I'm the outcast and the rejected person. Um, but a lot has changed. We can look around at our culture. We can see that. Um, some things for the better, some things for the worse. Unfortunately, some of what has changed is the moral code that we see in our country also. Um, and I would like to start reading in, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy and Paul points this out as he's writing to Timothy and he's instructing him not only in his ministry, but also in his growth as an individual, as a Christian. And he starts in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and he says, But understanding this, that in the last days there will come difficult times. For the people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appetites, or sorry, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. Paul looked around the world and it was a bad time for the moral society of the day when Paul was living. And yet he says it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to keep on decaying. It's going to keep on, um, it's going to keep on uh, deteriorating as far as what culture thinks of when it looks at morality and what is, a, um, what is allowable within our society. Uh, he points it out in a few other areas. Verse 13 in chapter 3 points it out also. We read it earlier. He says... While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He understood that this was a pro projection of moral decay that was going to continue to get worse. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate to themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
you can look at it. For many of you, I could, could sit down and we could talk about the moral decay that you've seen in your lifetime. Whether it is the attacks that Satan is making on sexuality, whether it's the attacks that Satan is making on families and the family home and the unit, whether it's on relationships that we have, commitments that we make, even the marriage commitment, whether it's the honesty, keeping your word. We can look around and say, yes, things are changing. Things are getting bad and they seem to be getting worse and worse even in America. And it's a gloomy picture. And yet Paul, in this passage, is going to point out, even though he expected it to get worse, he also had an answer for Timothy. He had something to hang on to to combat, to be the antidote to this moral decay that Timothy was seeing, that Paul was seeing, and that Paul projected that would continue to happen. In chapter 3 and 4, Paul is going to tell Timothy how to handle this decay. What is important to be able to stand up against these attacks that Satan is making? Um, and how can we have victory over them? It's, and honestly, when you go through it all, we read the rest of chapter 3, but I want to read chapter 4 also there. Um, and I'm actually going to pick up at the end of chapter 3. Paul is going to, to lay out to Timothy that it is God's word that allows us to stand up to Satan's attacks. It is God's word that is going to make a difference in our lives, that is going to allow us to live a godly life in the midst of a corrupt and moral decay in our society. Starting in verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Talking to Timothy, it says, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you uh, learned it, and how from a childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training of righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, or complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant and already in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wonder into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul is concerned for Timothy, and he charges him in this passage. He commands him that he must be committed to God's word. For many of you here today, this probably isn't going to be a new teaching or a new understanding, but a reminder of what God is saying for each and every one of us. We need to be committed to God's word. And this is going to set up a lot of why, uh, why I have a passion for, for youth, why I have a passion for teens, why I have a passion for investing and discipling the next generation. It's because it's all about God's word and we have to have a commitment to it. 
God's word is the defense against an ever-changing world. It's against it's a defense against the ever-changing moral code and standard that we have. And in this passage, Paul commands Timothy to be committed to the word of God. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means to be committed to the word of God. But he answers two questions in this passage. And there's a lot in chapter 3 and chapter 4 that we could talk about. And I'm not going to talk about it all today. I want to focus on a broader picture. The commitment to God's word and why it is so important in our lives. Why it's so important to instill in the next generation. And Paul answers two important questions in this passage. First, he answers, how? How does a commitment to God's word make a difference? How, do, how can we ever fight back against the society and the moral decay that we have? And Paul's going to answer that question. And he, he does so in, in four different ways here. Um, first, the end of chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. How does the committed, a commitment to God's word make a difference? One, it, it brings us to salvation. In verse 13 and 14, he says, While evil people and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you have learned it, and how from a child you have received and been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. It is God's word that ultimately allows us to see our need for him. That shows us that we are a sinner, that we need Christ's forgiveness, and that he is the only one that has made a payment worthy to be able to pay for our sins, to have a relationship with him. Paul writes about in Romans, how can we believe on him and who we not heard? And how can we hear unless we be taught, unless there is a preacher, unless we have heard the word of God? The word of God makes a difference because it is ultimately the only thing that can solve our base and most important problem in life. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, being saved. He goes on though. He says, how else does it do it? By building one another up. He jumps in both the end of chapter 3 and, and in, in chapter 4. We're going to jump back and forth between two different sets of verses here um, that say a lot of the same things. But in chapter 3, uh, verse 16, he says, And all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and is profitable for teaching. Um, how do we see this, this working and how does it make a difference in our life? Because it is what builds us up. It is what encourages us. It is what strengthens us. It gives us the knowledge to be able to distinguish um, with uh, wisdom what is right and wrong. What choices are good and bad. Why something in society is morally right or wrong. It's easy just to go with the flow, but it is God's word that allows us to have the doctrine, the teaching, to be able to look at it and say, no, this is wrong and this is why. It's not because I say it. It's not because it's the popular thing to do. It's not because it is the most economic decision for our country. No, the reason this is right or wrong is because God's word addresses it. It gives us the principles and the standards that we need to listen to. He says the same thing in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in season, now even reprove, rebu rebuke, exhort. We are to teach 
We are to be able to encourage and build one another up. And that's what God's word does. And ultimately, that is what we are called to as Christians to do. To build one another up and to encourage one another. And we don't do it just by saying good words. We do it by pointing people back to the truth. The truth of God's word. It is the only thing that can give us a foundation and a reason to combat the moral decay in our country. So we see that it brings us to salvation. That we see that it builds one another up. He goes on in verse um, in, in both chapter 3 and 4, that it is what allows us to confront one another. It is allows us what um, sheds light into our own life and confronts us of areas that we need to change. He goes on in his listings there. says, not only is it profitable for teaching in verse 16 of chapter 3, but for reproof. He says so again in, in a verse, um, the middle of verse uh, 2 in chapter 4. Um, we are to reprove one another. This is the idea of confronting one another with sin. Or the God's word confronting our life and pointing out areas that we need to build, um, that we need to work on. It's the idea of, of confronting to bringing light to the sin in our life. Ultimately, we cannot combat, we cannot point others to truth in God's word, the true standard of how we should live unless we look back at God's word and see where does our society, where does our traditions, where does our habits, where does our practices, even in our own life, where do they differ from God's word? Whether it be speech, whether it be um, obeying parents. I mean, he lists out a whole list at the beginning of chapter three there. Whether it's being lovers of money, proud, arrogant, um, heartless, uh, slanderous, not having self-control. How do we know when, when our life isn't matching up to what God wants us to live? It's through his word. It's the mirror that we look into that shows us areas that we need to change, areas that we need to grow, that we need to work on. So it not only builds us up and not only points out and, and, and brings light to areas that we need to address, but he goes on. It's what corrects us redirects us he goes on in verse uh two he, he goes to not only does it reprove us but it also rebukes us in verse um 16 uh it is the reproof the correction okay he goes on here and this is it it sounds very similar to the pointing out the repro reproof that we have but this is the idea of think of training when Ephesians says that we are to train up a child in the way he should go, it's the redirecting. It's the saying, this course that we are on, the lifestyle or the choices that we are on in this area of life, they're going in the wrong way. Okay? That is what the, the, um, the com confronting and the reproof already brought to life. And now it is, okay, we need to change it. We need to correct it. We need to adjust areas in our life. Sometimes it means an about face. We're going completely in the wrong direction. Sometimes it's just a redirecting of our priorities or of our focus. Or we've gotten comfortable with this over here. When really God wants us to continue to grow and we should be over here. Paul rebukes the church because there was a time when they had been in God's word and they had been believers and they had been taught and they had been learning. And Paul looks at him and says, you should be teaching others. And yet you have forgotten what you are supposed to know and we have to be teaching you the basics again. 
And Paul challenges them here. He says, you need to correct this area. That's what this word is. It's the redirecting. Saying, what areas do I need to change in my life? And it's hard. Because it's easy for us to get comfortable with where we're at. To say, I'm not as bad as the world. I'm not as bad as society. I don't hold to the abortion. Or I don't hold to the homosexuality. Or I don't hold to... Uh, robbing banks, murdering people, whatever it is. But what about our speech? What about our anger? What about holding on to that hurt and not forgiving another person? God says, no, we need to continue to grow. And how do we know how to do that? It's his word. Because it brings that correction into our life. He goes on. And he says that not only is it for... Uh, pointing out sin, not only is it for changing the direction, but it's for our exhortation or our training, the building up. He, he states it again in both spots, but in, cha- in chapter 4 he says, we are to exhort one another with complete patience and teaching. This is the encouraging part. Because we, we look at God's word and it points out sin in our life. And sometimes it can get discouraging. It can look too hard to change to be able to do that correction. And yet, God's word is more than just the rule book that points out where we need to change. It is also the motivation and encouragement why we need to change, how we change, that there is hope for change. But if we're not in God's word and we're not studying it and we're not encouraging one another with the truth of God's word and love, then we can get discouraged and say it's too much. And yet the Holy Spirit dwells in us to be able to help bring about this change. He's the one that can do the changing. And ultimately, it doesn't matter where we came from because God promises that we will have the ability to act and react to situations in a way that glorifies Him. That's the encouraging part. And Paul looks at Timothy and says, yes, it looks bleak. It looks like we're losing. And it's going to continue to get worse. But we have a hope. We have God's Word. And it does bring true change in our life. People, people all throughout the world today, they seek, one, they seek a relationship. The void that they can never fill unless they accept Christ as their Savior. But ultimately, many others, they seek something that is worthwhile to change in. And a way to change. Just look at diets. Um, I'm a, a big guy. Uh, I have the hardest time trying to lose weight. Uh, my wife and I do a bunch of different things. Uh, but anybody that struggles with weight and wanting to lose weight knows that, that it's hard, that it takes work. But there's lots of different programs out there. Why are there so many programs out there? Because when one program doesn't work, then let's change to another one because maybe this one will work. And it gives us the hope. Why? Because they're looking for true change. And they run to all these different areas and they spend so much time looking for change. It can be in appearance, it can be in weight, it can be in education, it can be in job situations, financial situations. Why? We're always trying to change and improve. We have that desire to. And yet it's God's word that is the true source of change. It's the only change in life that God promises. That God promises to help us in. And it can bring true change. We have the key that the rest of the world is looking for. And yet so many times we squander it because 
either we're not practicing it in our own life or we're not sharing it with those around us. It's God's word. It's the foundation of everything that we, we say that we do and, and why we do it. Paul not only answers, though, in this passage how a commitment to God's word will bring about and make a difference even in our society and in our own lives, but he goes on to answer why. Why is commitment to God's word important? And he does so in, in several different ways. He points out its source. This is the inspired word of God. In the ESV that I'm using, uh, in verse 16, it says that all scripture is breathed out by God. That's the word inspiration. It is, this isn't just a collection of writings. This isn't just man's thoughts and ideas. This is what God wanted us to know from him. And the word they used to describe it is literally, this is the breath of God. This is what he wants us to have. It is directly from him. Yes, it was written by using men. But this is God's word to you and to me. To the lost and dying world that gives hope, that gives encouragement. It's inspired by God. Which means it carries authority, it carries power, it carries the hope that we need. He goes on and says, yes, it is our source and that's why it's important. But also it's valuable. He says there in verse 16 also that this um, scripture that we have that is breathed out or inspired by God, it is profitable for these areas. It isn't just what we can hope to have. We, we don't just hope to be pointed, you know, have sin pointed out in our life. We don't just hope to uh, change direction. We don't just hope to be encouraged by it. But this is the promise. This is what Paul is saying. This is what God's word is for. It is for us to be able to be challenged, to be able to change, to be able to have the encouragement to do so. We can get stuck in areas in our life and say, you know what? There's no way for me to have, have victory over my speech or have victory over my temper. To have victory over my fear of, of evangelizing and, and witnessing, showing love to the unlovely. And yet really is it that we can't have victory or we don't claim the promises that God has given us? He promises this in our life. Yes, it might take work. It might take a long time to see that change, but yet it is the promise that God gives us. It is valuable. And yet how often do we let it sitting on the end table or the bookshelf? Do we leave the app closed on our iPad or our phone? And we don't run to God's word and actually study it. We don't obey it. We don't address it. We don't seek its resources when we have decisions to make in our life. It's easy for us to say we're Christians and that we value God's word, but do we prove it with our actions? Do we prove it with our words that we use? Do we talk about God's word or do we give a lot of our own opinions on, on items? It's easy for us to say what we believe, what we think. You know, we can have the, the discussion. We'll go to the, or the, the Cochran's. We can have the discussions. Are the Packers or the Indianapolis Colts a better football team? Of course, it's the Packers. But anyhow, uh, I'm biased. Okay, we can, have, we can have discussions on what our favorite sports team are. Or what's the best way to, to teach is. Okay? And we can share our thoughts and insights. And we can get 
uh, committed to and, and we're behind what we believe because we're all pumped up about it. Do we do the same thing about God's word? Is it important for us, enough to us? Do we know it enough to bring it up in our conversation? To not just say, this is what I think, but this is what I believe God's word teaches. And this is how we should respond. It's valuable. Um, not only is it as our source and it's valuable, but it also has results. Uh, end of verse, seven, or the verse 17 there in chapter 3. Paul wraps up that whole section saying, not only is it profitable for all this, but what does it produce? What is the results that come about through studying God's word, through living out God's word? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to live a life that is full, that is pleasing to God? Then live one that is dedicated to living out God's word, to studying it, to making it a part of our life and applying it to every aspect of our life. It's easy for us to stand up here and say, yes, as a Christian and as a Bible believer, that God's word is our sole authority. It's easy for us to make that because that's what we believe. But when we go home, is that what lived out in our life? Or do we fall back on traditions? Well, this is how my parents did parenting, so this is how I should do it. Or do we go to God's word and say, no, this is what God's word says. It is our authority. It brings results. It makes us complete to be able to glorify God in our life. Not only that, we see here its consequences. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It's interesting, Paul, whenever he's, he's writing, uh, and if you study Greek at all, which I'm not going to get into, but I enjoy it, and I'm very, um, very uh, literal and argumentative in my thinking, so everything in me is very logical. It falls in line and just keeps going. Um, if you like that, then Paul's writing is great because Paul's writing always does that. And he goes off on a lot of side rabbit trails, but he, he makes this logical argument for many things that he does. So in the middle of this whole passage of God's word, he goes off on this little aside in verse 1. He says, okay, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom... He goes, because of all of that, now go preach the word. Go teach the word. Go be invested in sharing the word with others. Why? Because the consequences is that Christ will judge. He's going to judge the unsaved, and they're going to be condemned to hell. And he's going to judge Christians for how we have handled the resources he has given us. How we have lived for him. How we have used our abilities, our time, our money, our finances, our wisdom to be able to help in his ministry, in his kingdom. In building the church, in discipling others, in sharing the gospel with the lost. We're going to be judged. And that means we should be motivated to live for him. But not only that, this is God. This is Christ. And in his presence, Paul is charging us with it who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Not only are we going to be judged, but one day we are going to stand before him. He is going to come back. And are we going to stand before him 
regretting because we didn't truly live out God's word? We didn't apply it to our lives? Are we going to come back rejoicing that our Savior and our Lord, the one we have been studying and worshiping, has returned? Christ is going to come back. Christ is going to judge. And that should motivate us to say it is important to be in God's word. It's important not only to be committed to God's word in a concept, but to live it out, to be studying it, to be obeying it, and to applying it to our life, to be sharing it with others. Why do I feel it's important to evangelize, to train children and teens? Because it's the only thing of value that is going to make a lasting difference in their life. For many of you, you have been in the education field and you've seen the value of teaching the next generation. And yet so often, even in education, we can get caught up on teaching the things of this world, things that would be good for them. History, math, English, science, all those things. But what is more important, teaching them that or teaching them the truths of God's word? We need to have a, a burden to share God's word with the next generation. That's part of the reason why our church, and hopefully as we come here, why we think a VBS program, a vacation Bible school program, is a good program. Yes, it's not perfect, and there's lots of things that we could do differently, but our focus is to get them in God's word, to expose them to it, to be able to share the gospel with them, to be able to allow them to hide word, or God's word in their heart. Yeah, we're going to bribe them to do it. And yet it's amazing to me to walk into church and meet visitors who come through our door. Be like, hey, is this your first time here? No, I used to come all the time when I was a kid. Oh, really? What did you come to? Oh, we came to your vacation Bible school every year. And they start having a conversation and they start referring back to scripture that they had learned when they were a child. Truths that they had learned in vacation Bible school. Yes, they may have not gotten saved they have may not have been following God and living for him for the last many years. But it's made an impact. It's planted the seed that God can use to now bring about salvation in their life. To bring about change in their life. Why is it important? Because it's God's word. Because it is the answer to what Paul lays out there at the beginning of chapter 3. The struggles, the attacks that that Satan is making on our, our life and in our world and our families, it is God's word is the answer to solving those problems, to living a godly way in the midst of those trials and of, in those problems that have faced us. If you're struggling with speech, God's word talks about it. If you're struggling with your anger, God's word talks about it. If you're struggling with Forgiving one another, God's word talks about it. If you're struggling with why we should go out and witness, God's word talks about it. If you're struggling with what music choices, what uh, entertainment choices you want to be a part of, God's word talks about it. You may not talk about TV, may not state it, but the principles are there. What we should allow into our mind, what we should allow into our life. God's word is the answer to the problems that we face. God's word is the answer for the next generation and the choices that they chase or that they face. For many of you, you can look and, and you can look at the children in America today. 
And you can see lots of issues in their life. And they're big issues. But their biggest issue is whether they know Jesus Christ, and then two, if they're going to follow him. Because if they choose to follow Jesus Christ and we invest teaching them the word of God, then the rest of the problems in society that they're faced with will have answers to. And they can make choices that are based on God's word. Not just what their parents said. Not just what their pastor said, what their, their teacher said. Not what just their friends said. Not what the internet or TV says. But what God's word says. So why is it important? Because it's our authority. And if it's truly our authority, then we should be committed to learn, to obey, and to share God's word. To let it permeate every aspect of our life. To be so a part of us that you can't remove it. And for us as Americans, sometimes we get comfortable where we are. And we allow the, the Bible to sit on the bookshelf. We might go days without opening it. We may go weeks, months. And yet God's word is important. And Paul looks at Timothy and says, in the midst of an ever-changing world, we can be sure about God's word and we need to be committed to following it. So the question for you today, the challenge, what are you doing with God's word? What areas do you need to change? Maybe you are great at studying God's word. But you need to work harder at how do I apply it? How do I run back to it to address this situation and this issue in my life? Maybe you're doing both of those really well. And you're growing and you're maturing and you've seen that growth. And you have a joy and excitement to study God's word. Well then how are you at sharing God's word with others? It's not just the church's mission to proclaim Christ. It is our mission as individual believers and Christians to point others to Christ? Are you investing in somebody? Are you investing in a relationship to be able to share the gospel? Are you investing in a relationship with a new believer to disciple and train them? What are you doing with God's word today? What are you doing in God's, with God's word this week? What are you going to choose to do? This is really the foundation of of what we're going to do this summer and why we're going to do Vacation Bible School. Um, why we as a church at Faith has, has chosen this model to follow after. Because we can invest in sharing God's word with children and they need it. It's not just us sitting here that needs God's word. It's the rest of them outside that may never come into this church building. They may never darken the doors of a church, but you can go out to them and show Christ. And you can point him back to God's word. So God, I pray that you would help us this week as we seek to live for you, as we seek to follow you in our prospective jobs and, and in the life circumstances that you have given us. I pray that you would help us to be committed, one, in our own life to the authority of your word and the need to be committed to it and to be uh, obeying it, to be studying it, to being allowing it to impact and change our life. But I pray also that you would help us to have a burden and a compassion to go forth and to share it with others. Um, we are excited about what you can do and what you have promised to do. And we're, I'm excited this summer to see what you can do here uh, in Kansas with the youth in the area to be able to share the gospel with them. And I'm excited to see what you are going to do this summer. 
But I pray that you'd help us today, tomorrow, the next day, to be committed to your word and to be committed to sharing your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and that it can instruct us in how to glorify you in every aspect of life. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.